You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Without further ado, we are going to get into the Word of God. And so if you can open your Bibles with me, whether that's a physical Bible or your Bible app, to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 is going to be our text today. And uh, I'm going to be reading out of the NIV translation. It's cool if you have a different translation. But if you've been with us, at least last week, you know that we started a new series. We were walking through the book of James, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, up until about Christmas time. Well, we're just, we're just camping out in this letter written by uh, Pastor James here to the church scattered across Jerusalem, I mean sc- scattered across Asia and Northern Africa and the Middle East, these Jewish believers that are scattered abroad. He writes this letter and... Just to, as a quick reminder of our intro last week, is that uh, not, James is not only just an awesome letter uh, in general, but what's neat is that it gets straight to the point in a very real and tangible way of what like life of a Christ follower should look like. Um, it's very similar to the Sermon of the Mount that Jesus preached. Uh, James, with the same tone and tenor, kind of just lays out all these do's and don'ts of like what the life of a Christian should be like. And he gives examples and he talks about our speech and our actions and our work and our life. And um, it's, it's no doubt will be challenging. Like if you're not, uh, you're going to miss out if we don't come with open receiving hearts. We talked a lot about that last week. But God, I do really believe he wants to refine us and grow us and make us more like him. And James is a perfect letter to do that because there's kind of no getting around what James says here. Um, James' style, it's equally encouraging as it is refining. And uh, before we get into our text today, it's important to remember who James is, right? He's the half-brother of Jesus. Um, He's the leader and pastor of the Jerusalem church. And the theme of this letter is uh, really that genuine fruit or genuine action comes from genuine faith. That if we truly believe who Christ is and we sit under the lordship of Jesus, that our lives are going to bear the fruit of Christ. Our speech is going to be different. Our actions, our priorities, um, people will see a difference. James goes so far to say, if they don't, then there's a problem with your actual faith, right? Like faith without works is dead, he said. He doesn't, he's not sugarcoating anything. He says, your faith should bear this fruit that shows and tells of what's happened to you inwardly. And so uh, last week, we only did one verse. Today, we do three verses. Slow. Uh, Verses two through four is our text. And so let's read it and pray. Um, But for context's sake, let's just read verse 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes, tribes of Israel, scattered among the nations. He says, greetings. And then he gets into it. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. 
And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the ability to open up your word and read it. And you, Holy Spirit, would speak to us through it. God, we do believe that your word is living and active, that's sharper than any double-edged sword, and that it's profitable for teaching us and correcting us and training us so that the man or woman of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. And God, we just want to sit today, uh, we just want to lay today before you and say, God, we don't want me to speak, we want you to speak through me. And I pray that your word would really penetrate our hearts. That especially when we're talking about having joy in trials. God, we all need your help with that. God, like we all are in need to know how to do this. How to walk in joy in the midst of pain. So God, would you speak to us? Would you show us? Would you refine us and uh, teach us today? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, James doesn't waste any time getting into the first of what we talked about last week. 54 imperatives in this letter. But again, if you remember the context of who James is writing to, again, he's the pastor of the Jerusalem church. The church, though, encounters heavy persecution in the first few chapters of the book of Acts. In fear of their life, this kind of rocking early church, 3,000 people strong at Jerusalem, gets scattered. The 12 tribes that are now believing in Jesus, these messianic Jews, are scattered. And this is, this is most likely James's church is now scattered. And he's writing these letters to these persecuted, scattered, displaced, and outcast people. And so with that context in mind, the first thing he writes to them is, guys, consider it all joy what you're going through. And again, remember, James is like probably safe and sound or a lot maybe more safe and sound than they are. And if it ever is going to sound tone deaf, it would sound right now. Like, James, you, what are you talking about? Like, do you understand who it is your letter is going to? These people are, like, displaced. They're refugees. I mean, they're running for their lives. And you're just making it light. At least that's what it would sound like, right? Because James, like, how can, inconsiderate can you be to these hurting people? It's easy for you to say, while well, all your people are suffering, how can you say that? But again, before we jump into conclusions and think James is a horrible human... Um, we do need to figure out what James really means. And I think to properly answer that, we should probably first understand what it doesn't mean. Like, what is James not saying? Um, James is not ordering, like, this all-encompassing joyful emotion during severe trials. He's not saying, like, you are not allowed to feel any emotion but joy in the most painful times. That's, that's not what he's saying. Nor is he demanding that his readers, like, must enjoy their trials or that trials in themselves are joyful. That's not what he's saying. Again, he knew, as did the writer of Hebrews, that 
Hebrews 12:11 says, "For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than the pleasant." Right? James wasn't commanding that upon hearing all kinds of bad news in our lives, like for them it was like a lot, but for us it's not like, "Oh, you lost your job. Rejoice." Immediately, or like, hey, so-and-so just got diagnosed with this disease. Rejoice in it. You know, like this horrible things happen. Like, just rejoice. And don't feel any other emotion and don't process grief. And that's not what he's saying. Rather, what James is saying, as one commentator put it, is this. He says this. To kind of give some understanding. He says, James is commending the conscious embrace of a Christian understanding of life that brings joy into the trials that come because of our Christianity. So he's saying that it's not that we're supposed to just deny that trials are existing, but in light of who we are in Christ, the Christian is to consciously embrace that joy can be found through Christ in the midst of where it's seeming like it doesn't exist. Again, James says, count it all joy, which by definition, in the original language there, means to make a deliberate and careful decision to experience joy even in times of trouble. And again, I'm going to make a distinction here. It isn't just willing joy to happen. Body, just be joyful. Just be happy, body. That's not what he's saying either. But again, there's an element that we're supposed to be mindful to, to embrace, to run after, to pray towards, to know that the believer can experience joy in the midst of trials. It is for us in the midst of trials. Okay, so how is this done? How is this possible? Because again, it feels very fleeting and it feels so lofty that all of us in here, all of us in here have a trial going on. Or you did or you will. Right? Because if we're honest, I don't know about you, but if we were to list the emotions, right, that we experience that are associated with our own trials, right, something really bad happens. I'm talking like really bad. Where would joy be on your list? Like if you're going to name, if you're, someone's going to ask you, hey, what emotions did you experience during that really hard season in your life? You'd be like, dude, it was anger. It was disappointment. It was discouragement. It was pain. It was fear. It was joy would like, wouldn't be at the top. It wouldn't be in the top 10. It would be like, well, joy comes when it's over. <laughs> joy comes when the trial's over or when the problem's fixed or when the relationship's fixed. I mean, you name the trial. When I get my job back, when m my bank account looks better. Right? Because so, so often when we experience trials, that's why it's like so counterintuitive that James would even say, like when we read this, not only the believers back then, but when we read this, it's like very counterintuitive and like, James, it's cool you said that, but that doesn't actually happen. And I, I've never done that. Or you know what I mean? Like I'm sure reading this, when we think of joy in the list of emotions, it's... Uh, not even close to the top of the list, right? It's usually the last, or we think it will come when the problems is fixed. But James calls us into something very different. 
Because again, he's not saying, hey, hey, believers, just pray that all your problems go away because when they go away, you're going to experience the joy of the Lord. He could have. He doesn't. Bible doesn't say that. Bible says that actually because we know Christ, because we know that God's in control, because we have the Holy Spirit in us, and a lot more, that even in the midst of nothing getting better, that we can experience the joy of the Lord. And James says that's the thing we fight for and live for and embrace and run towards and hope for. That in the midst of trials, we consider it all joy. Okay, so I want to encourage us with a few examples that this is possible in the New Testament um, where this happens. Where joy comes in the midst of trials. One is uh, through the Apostle Paul. Paul told the church in Corinth... The Corinthian church, he said, in all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. If you know anything about the Apostle Paul, he had it the worst. This is unbelievable that he would say this statement. But again, not only James is saying it, but Paul's saying that in affliction... Because he doesn't say after our affliction. He says, in all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. Again, this is alluding to what James is talking about. Not only that, but Luke reports that when the Sanhedrin called in the apostles and they beat them and they charged uh, charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let him go, they left the presence of the council, Acts 5, and they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Right, these guys were arrested, they were beaten, they were ordered not to follow Jesus, they were ordered not to speak about their belief in God. And what was their response? They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to speak the name of Jesus. Again, that is so counterintuitive, you're like, dude, calm down. Like, you're going to get beaten again. Don't do that. But they were so filled with the Spirit and their eyes were fixed upon Jesus and they knew that God was in control. That they, they experienced this joy in the midst of persecution, of beating, of imprisonment. And again, another example we see in the New Testament of joy coming in the midst of, of, of pain. As later Luke tells us that Paul and Silas... Uh, Acts chapter 16, right? They, they were severely flogged. Uh, they experienced intense pain. They were in prison. And it says that at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing psalms to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Again, go back and read Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas, they're in prison their fate is unknown. Their situation is not better. But they chose to worship God in the midst of it. They chose to praise God. They chose to trust God. And there was a sense of joy that came about. And that's why I'm sure the prisoners next to them were listening. Because they're like, why are these guys singing and rejoicing to God? They're like just got beaten and they're imprisoned. And the fate of their life is up in the air. But again, right, the question would be is how can we be a part of this? Like how can we find joy in the midst of trials? 
Again, it's alluded to in our next few verses in James. James tells us a little bit. But again, here's the gist. Let me just spoiler alert. And if you're taking notes, write this down. No experience or parentheses, no trial, no testing, no grief is ever wasted with God. No experience is wasted with God. And, and I know many of you right now are going to be like, that's not true, Riz. Why did that hard thing or that painful thing or why did I lose that loved one or why did I lose my job? Like, what good came from that? And I understand we can say that. But I will testify, and I think many of us will too, that whatever really hard time we've gone through, God has used it to grow us, to mature us, to speak to us. God uses trials and, and seasons of testings so that we could be refined and we could be matured. God is outside of our trials. He's outside of what we're going through. And he's good enough and he's big enough that nothing is wasted. There's no wasted time. And I think we think that. I think that there's times in our life we think these are the wasted years. These years would be productive or fruitful. Or I'd be happy if... We all have it, right? Because it's a life stage thing. If you're single, you want to be married, or maybe you don't, I don't know. But if you're married, maybe you want to have kids, or you want to have a different job, or, right? There's, and sometimes we go through seasons, we think this is a waste. What good is going to come from this? And I want you, don't hear me, I want you to hear, like God, to be like, nothing's wasted. I'm in control. I want to use all of that for my glory and your good. Will you trust me? Will you trust me with that thing? Do you believe that I can use your most painful time to grow you, to refine you, to become more like me? Because again, look what James says. Verse 3, right? Verse 2 was, consider it joy in all trials. You're like, oh, sure, James. Then he says, because... Do you see that? Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. There's a fruit. There's a, there's a result. doesn't stop there. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So again, James just doesn't say, be happy, just be happy. He says, do it because... God wants to use this for his good and uh, for his glory and your good. There's actually good that he wants to, to do and there's growth that wants to happen in you. Will you let him? And again, church, we as believers, if you call yourself a believer and a follower of Jesus, we can find joy in any situation as James tells us to, knowing because we know we should know that God is in control of what we may see, what, what may seem chaotic. Even in the world we live in today, it's chaotic. It's chaos. God's like, I'm in control still. 
I'm in control. But God, but God, but God, he's like, I'm in control. To you, your life may seem chaotic. I still hold it all in the span of my hands. Just that alone should start bringing us to the place of, oh, wow. God's in control of even this hard time. Right? God, and and again, church, we need to remember, God sees the end and knows the end result. And as many Bible teachers before me have said, again, if you grew up in church, you probably know this, but that fruit grows in the valleys, not on the mountaintops. Meaning, when we think of seasons that are valleys or the mountaintop seasons of our life, that saying fruit grows in the valleys, not on the mountaintops, meaning real lasting character growth usually is forged in the valley seasons, not on the mountaintop experiences. Can you guys relate to this? I know I can. Like if I think of like the ways I've really grown, (laughs) they've been seasons where I wish they didn't happen. Right? If we were to look back on like, how have you really grown as a person and matured into the person that Christ has wanted you? And how did you grow in that way? It was because of pain. <laughs> it was because of, like, I don't wish the last two and a half years upon anyone. But I can say, I'm like, man, if me as a person and me as a pastor didn't go through the last couple of years, I wouldn't have grown in the ways that I have. Do I want those years again? No. But, like case in point, like when I hear this myself, when I see what James is saying, I'm like, absolutely, James, I understand what you're saying. That we can consider it all joy in all circumstances because God will work it out for our good and his glory. Because, again, if we allow it, God really does want to use all this to grow us. Because here's the truth. I I think this is true of, of, of many of us. When we encounter times of testing, trials, or hard times, tragedy, you name it, what's most of our main desire or uh, our main prayer, I think you would agree, is for it to end Like when something bad happens, we're like, God, stop this from happening. That is our main prayer. When people ask, hey, how can I pray for you? You're like, just pray that this gets fixed. Again, there's not like, that prayer alone isn't bad. I'm not saying like, don't pray that your pain doesn't end. But that prayer alone, I think, again, pinning here, but hear me out. That prayer alone, just that bad times would stop, I do believe will bypass the joy and perhaps bypass the fruit of what God wants to do, the maturing, the filling of the lack. Do you see how James says, we're all lacking. We're all in need. And he says, trials, if you allow, God is actually going to fill your lack. He's going to fill it where you're lacking so that you're 
mature or perfect and complete and not lacking in anything. Right? Because in contrast, right, in addition to praying, God, stop this bad thing from happening. My challenge, to myself included, for sure, is this. What if we tweaked our mindset and prayer to be this? Instead of just, God, let the hard time stop. What if we said this? Again, in my words, you can say it differently. God, this is really hard. Please let it stop. You can still pray that. But, God, I know that you're in control and that no experience is wasted. God, what is it that you want to do in me now? How do you want me to learn from this that's happening? How do you want me to be refined? What are you asking me to let go of? You see how we never really ask those questions? Maybe you're like a better Christian than I am. But again, if we actually look at the word of God and go, hey, no experience is wasted. Even in trials, God wants to do things. What if instead of the trial that you're going through, because again, I know everyone has it right now. Instead of saying, God, stop it, end it, provide. What if we said, Yes, please do that. But what are you trying to teach me right now? What, are, where am, I, what am I missing? And, and to be honest, it could be a myriad of things, right? It could be like, man, God wants, God's confronting like an idol in your life. You lost your job and you're wrecked over it. Why are you wrecked? Is it just because you're fearful of paying the bills or is there something more to it? Again, I'm just spitballing here. I don't know if this is speaking to. But say like a relationship is broken. Have you asked God, instead of like just fix this relationship, what, what is God wanting to do in you? How, what, what is it that he's trying to speak to you? And how is he trying to use this situation to grow you to become more like himself? I want to challenge us to... Again, tweak our mindset that when we go through trials, not only do we say, God, give me joy in the midst of trials, but I think we maybe sub-point ask those questions. God, you're in control of when this stops, because it's true. God is in control of when our seasons start and when their seasons stop. He's in control. God, you're in control, so your will be done, but... While I'm sitting in this season, which I really dislike, how do you want to speak to me? How do you want me to grow? What am I lacking? What am I missing, Lord? Do you see that opens up like a whole different door for God to work? Because again, if we're not even asking, then like we're not even asking. And I, I do think we're going to miss it sometimes. But you know what's neat about that? When we start asking God, praying to God those sort of questions when we're in trials, it actually gets our eyes off the trial. And it gets our eyes on Jesus again. And it gets our eyes focused on him and his goodness. And maybe it draws us to getting us in his word more. And we're reminded of his character. And we're reminded of who God is. 
And I believe that that's really part of the point that James is getting to here. That not only can we actually experience God's joy and his, and his peace in the midst of pain, but when we're open to it, when we're willing to receive, when we're willing to listen, when we're asking, God truly does use terrible experiences for his glory and his good. And so in the midst of a few painful years and tragic years with a lot of loss, with a lot of pain, I know for most of you guys in here, like trials are real and it's really hard in different ways. As we enter into this time of worship, I just want to, um, together with you, challenge us just to come to the feet of Jesus and to spend this time just responding to God. And maybe it's like, God, I just haven't been trusting you with this whole problem. And that's okay. There's a lot of grace. But today's the day to be like, God, you're in control. I'm not. Because for a lot of us, we just want to fix it. How do I just fix it? How do I just end it? What if we're asking the wrong question? God, what are you wanting to speak to me now? So I pray and hope that God would maybe reveal to you or continue to reveal uh, areas where he wants to speak to you and grow you into this season. But uh, let's go ahead and pray and spend uh, the next few minutes worshiping. God, we thank you for... I would say this challenging reminder, like it's really good and it's really challenging. I think all of us would be honest to admit that not only have we kind of fallen short, but maybe we haven't asked these questions, but thank you that like you have so much grace and you love us so dearly that again, this is just an opportunity once again for you to meet your kids. Thank you that you're our heavenly father, that you just love us as your sons and daughters, and you desire for us to be with you. You desire to impart that joy to us, the supernatural joy that doesn't make sense because our circumstances are bad, but because of you, we can trust and know that you're good and so that everything is going to be okay regardless of the outcome of our circumstance. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to have the faith to trust you, help our unbelief, help us where we're just doubting you. We just don't, we just are doubting how our life's going and what's happening. And I just pray that you would increase our faith in those areas. Um, God, we pray that as we enter into this time of worship and communion and prayer, that we would truly experience and respond to you the way in which you've spoken to us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.